0: Welcome back once again to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. We're going to continue again still with the Mass because it's so awesome. Could, we could literally talk about it all the time. But um, today I want to talk about the bread of the presence because... Uh, The Eucharist is uh, one among many gifts that the Lord has given us that has been transformed in a fulfillment of things that are in the Old Testament, right? So we've constantly talked about the Passover meal, the Lamb of God, the bread, the manna from heaven, but one that gets looked over is the bread of the presence that would be kept in the tabernacle or the temple uh, in the Old Testament, and it's just incredible. It's just so beautiful. I have a book in my hand. It's called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. And it's by Brant Petrie. He is a uh, biblical scholar and he like specializes in uh, Jewish scripture and tradition. Um, and like what was actually happening in the first century at the time of Jesus and what the Jews were expecting. And it's just so awesome. So I highly recommend Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. And he does such a good job that actually in one of those chapters called the Bread of the Presence, I'm literally just going to read to you the notes that I have. So here we go. Oh, and by the way, too, before we even get into the Bread of the Presence, two quick things that I wanted to mention. I know I mentioned uh, one of the things about the Eucharist, about being in the Our Father, a Eucharistic term for the Greek word, and I mentioned it before, but it's uh, this daily bread. The Greek word there is actually one that's that was never really seen before, and it was like epiosios, and that's super substantial bread. So like it's not normal bread that Jesus is telling us to ask for. It's, he's asking us to have super substantial bread daily. And so that's another Eucharistic uh, prayer in the Our Father. And then also I mentioned too, like the uh, bread of the the tree of life in the the, the very beginning. But, um, and what's so beautiful about on the road to Emmaus when the eyes are opened, if you contrast that with Genesis 3-7, where Adam and Eve reached out for the the fruit of the tree of good and evil, what happened when they ate of it? Their eyes were opened to good and evil, and really, their eyes were almost closed in that sense, right? They were closed off to life. But what happens in the road to Emmaus, the exact opposite happens when they uh, break When Jesus breaks the bread and they feast on the Lamb of God, their eyes are opened to life. Praise the Lord. All right, so bread of the presence. In the second century, there's this uh, famous rabbi. He taught that in the world to come, all sacrifices will be annulled, but the Thanksgiving sacrifice will never be annulled. The Thanksgiving sacrifice containing bread and wine. And so, the bread of the face of God, as soon as God is finished giving the Ten Commandments to Israel and sealing the covenant with them with a heavenly banquet in Exodus chapters 20-24, he immediately begins to give them instructions for how they are to worship him. All these instructions revolve around the central place of worship, the tent of meeting, also known as the tabernacle, according to Exodus 26. So God commands Moses to make three sacred object, objects to keep inside of it. These th- the, these three things are the Ark of the Covenant, the golden lampstand, lampstand known as the menorah, and the golden table or the uh, the golden table of the bread of presence. That third one is key for right, for this talk. So Moses saw the pattern for making them in a vision that was shown to him on the top of Mount Sinai, which is, and you see that in Exodus twenty-five, uh, verse nine and forty. In other words, the ark, the lampstand, the lampstand, and the bread of the presence are patterned on patterned on heavenly realities. So these are not just mere human things, and so uh, at the very end, also at the very end of Exodus twenty-five. It literally says that you shall eat, you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me always, always. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? So um, you see that on this golden table, uh, according to Exodus 25, the the few verses before what I just read, is next to it were flagons and bowls for pouring libations. That is sacrificial drink offerings of wine, according to Numbers chapter 15. And so when it comes to the tabernacle of Moses, we can rightly refer to it as the bread and wine of the presence, right? That's on the table before God in the tabernacle. So therefore... The most literal translation, oh, I'm sorry, back up. So the point of the word commonly rendered as presence is actually the Hebrew word for face, which it, the Hebrew word is panim, face. So therefore, the most literal translation of the Hebrew is the bread of the face, as opposed to bread of the presence. So the bread of the presence is nothing less than the bread of the face of God. That's literally how it was refer, How this bread of the presence is referred to, the bread of the face of God. And so God commands Moses to build the golden table of the bread of the presence immediately after the heavenly banquet that he and the elders participated in on Mount Sinai in Exodus 24. So if we read Exodus 24, uh, verses 9 through 11, it says that, "...then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel, and he did not lay his hands on the chief men of the people of Israel." They beheld God and ate and drank. So, it seems that the earthly bread of the face was meant to be kind of a a kind of memorial of the heavenly banquet in which Moses and the elders saw the God of Israel while they ate and drank. So this earthly tabernacle is a visible sign of the invisible heavenly place of God and the earthly bread of the presence is a visible sign of the invisible heavenly face of God. And if you read in Leviticus, it says, every every Sabbath day, every Sabbath day, Aaron shall set it in order before the Lord continually on behalf of the sons of Israel as an everlasting covenant, referring to the bread of the presence. And so, first and foremost, the bread of the presence is explicitly identified as the sign of the everlasting covenant between God and Israel. So it seems that the bread of the presence, which again was shown to them in a heavenly, rea- heavenly vision on Mount Sinai... Was meant to be a memorial and a sign of the same covenant that had been sealed with Israel at Sinai. So, uh, in Leviticus, the bread of the presence was a perpetual offering to be continually present before the Lord in the tabernacle. And, uh, this implies as long as the bread of the presence was inside the tabernacle, the flames of the menorah were to be kept burning continually alongside it. And that's in Leviticus 24. So just like in modern times, Catholic churches maintain a similar practice with their own tabernacles in the form of the sanctuary lamp, which always burns when the Eucharistic, Eucharist is present. Right, So you go to any Catholic church, you go to the tabernacle and Jesus is in there. They have a red candle or a candle burning right next to it, uh, re- um, referencing Jesus being present, God being present. So third, the bread of the presence was not just a symbol. It was also a sacrifice. And there were two kinds of sacrifice in the Old Testament. There was the One of them was bloody sacrifices, which involved the slaughter of bulls, goats, and sheep. And the second one was this unbloody sacrifice, which often consisted of bread and wine, right? So, uh, and then moving forward to the prophet Ezekiel, he actually refers to the golden table of the bread of the presence as an altar in Ezekiel 41, 21 through 22. In other words, this bread was both a meal and a sacrifice. It was both a gift from God to his priests in the form of a meal and an offering of the priest to their God in the form of a sacrifice. So, just as the Passover, uh, the Mass is a meal and a sacrifice, and Jesus gave himself this the bloody sacrifice as the Lamb of God on the cross, but also offered himself in the unbloody sacrifice under bread and wine, right? So, just as the bread of the presence was a sacrifice and a meal and the uh, um, eternal covenant. So, Significantly, the unbloody sacrifice offered each week was nothing other than the bread of the wine of the presence. So every week... Sabbath worship revolved around the offering of the fresh bread of the presence and of the eating of the bread by the priests in the holy place. So every Sabbath, a lot of people think like it was just this day of nothing going on, but it actually was something going on. It was this offering of the fresh bread of the presence and the eating of the bread by the priests in the holy place. So this bread of the presence was the Sabbath sacrifice. The most holy offering was bread and wine. So finally, it was both the sign of the everlasting covenant with Israel and the bread of the Lord's perpetual presence in the tabernacle, the bread of the face of Almighty God. Amen. And so, uh, moving forward also, Melchizedek, is he was both priest and king. So, uh, in Genesis 14, it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And so, Melchizedek is a significant figure, right? Because guess what? Jesus fulfills Melchizedek because he's both priest and king in Jerusalem. And he offers bread and wine as a sacrifice to God. And then before the bread was brought into the holy place to be offered in sacrifice, it could be laid on a marble table. But after the bread had been consecrated to God by the priest, it had to be laid on a golden Table, so see the difference there. Before it was just merely just it was just bread, but after the consecration to God, it was not just bread. It was uh, something so special that it had to be set on sacred uh, on a golden table, right? So, um, and you see this uh, in the Mishnah, um, which is a uh, Jewish um, uh, ancient. Piece of literature, I believe, dates to probably like right around the time of Jesus. But so this says, it says this on the table of marble they laid the bread of the presence when it, when it was brought in, and on the table of gold they laid the bread of the presence when it was brought out. Since what is holy must be raised in honor and not brought down. So it's holy. So this means the bread of the presence was extremely sacred, but only after it had been offered as a sacrifice to God in the holy place before offering before being offered and sacrifice it was just ordinary bread and could be set on an ordinary table but once it had been offered in sacrifice it was now holy. And so uh, there's this other um, uh, Jewish um, piece of ancient script uh, literature called the Babylonian Talmud, and I think it dates right I think it's the first century AD and it says this: about the bread of the presence could provide miraculous sustenance. So, during the whole period that Simon the righteous ministered as high priest, a blessing was bestowed upon the Omer, the two breads and the bread of the presence, so that every priest who obtained a piece thereof as big as an olive, ate it and became satisfied with some eating thereof and even even leaving something over. So, Jesus, um, he multiplied five loaves of bread, such that all ate and were satisfied. And there were even some left over in Matthew fourteen twenty, right? So just, that sounds really familiar from what they, what was just said from a Jewish tradition, um, about the bread of the present satisfying and some being left over. And so, um, and also it was a reference to the priesthood too. So, uh, And in Jesus' day, it was customary for Jewish men living in the land of Israel to go up to Jerusalem and the temple three times a year in order to keep the feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. At each of these feasts, the priests in the temple would do something remarkable. I love this. (laughs) They would remove the golden table of the bread of the presence from within the holy place so that the Jewish pilgrims could see it. When they removed the holy bread, the priests would elevate it and say the following words. The priest used to lift it up, the golden table, up and exhibit the bread of the presence on it to those who came up for the festival, saying to them, Behold, God's love for you. The priest used to hold up the bread of the presence on these three feast day and come out to all the Jewish people that came to the temple in Jerusalem and he would hold up the bread of the presence and would say, Behold, God's love for you. Doesn't that sound a lot like a Catholic, Priest holding up Jesus in the monstrance, (laughs) behold God's love for you. So, but during the Pilgrim Feast, the Jewish people were allowed to see one of the sacred objects hidden behind the outer veil, which was the bread of the presence. So, the bread of the presence was a sign of God's love because it was a sign of the covenant. The covenant between God and Israel is a frequently described in terms of a marriage bond, a covenant of love between the divine bridegroom, God, and his earthly bride, Israel, according to Ezekiel 16, Isaiah 54, and Hosea chapters 1 and 2. So as we, uh, the Torah explicitly states that the bread of the presence was not just the most holy sacrifice of the Sabbath, it was also the sign of the everlasting covenant. As the visible sign of this everlasting covenant, the bread of the presence was also the visible sign of the divine bridegroom's love for his bride. Perhaps that is why the priests could say to the people when they held up the bread, behold God's love for you. So those three feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles most English translations say that the the that the men should appear before God, but the literal Hebrew reads um, from Exodus that says, Three times a year shall all your males see the face of the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. In this line, the Hebrew word for the face of God is Panim, the same word used for the bread of the presence or the bread of face, according to Exodus 25, 30. By showing the pilgrims the bread of the Panim, the bread of face, the priests in the temple were fulfilling the law that commanded that they see the face of the Lord. Praise God. Okay. So, Ancient Jews, the bread of the presence was not the actual face of God, but an earthly sign of his face. However, it is also quite clear that when Moses and the elders of Israel went up Mount Sinai, they saw something divine. As the Torah states, they beheld God and ate and drank, according to Exodus twenty four eleven. 11. So uh, according to ancient Jewish tradition, this holy bread was the primordial sacrifice of Melchizedek the miraculous food of the holy place, the bread of the face of Almighty God. This holy bread was a living, visible sign of God's love for his people, the way his earthly people could catch a fleeting glimpse of the ultimate desire of their hearts to see the face of God and live and to know that he loved them. And so to this day, you can travel to Rome and see the famous Ark of Titus, which was commissioned by the Emperor Domitian to memorize the over... To memorialize the overthrow of Jerusalem, which happened in AD seventy, and there carved in the stone are images of the Roman soldiers carrying off from the from the temple both the golden menorah and the golden table of the bread of presence. Isn't that wild? And in Matthew, um, uh, we always like overlook this uh, this piece of scripture and like, oh, that's I I don't know what Jesus is specifically referring to, but. Um, it says this in Matthew chapter 12. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they looked to, to him. Lo- they said to him, "Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath." He said to them, "Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence?" Which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for the for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Well, what does Jesus mean by that? So, the bread of the so the Torah makes it pretty clear that the bread of the presence could only be eaten by Aaron and his sons, that is, the, by the Levitical priests in Leviticus twenty four nine. So, um, in the old Testament, Israelite men practice a kind of temporary celibacy on two occasions so that they'd be celibate on, uh, whenever they were on a military expedition or whenever they served as priests in the sanctuary. Right. And so, um, and David, uh, King David, a lot of people think of him of only King, but he was also a priest. And so, uh, what does this mean though? That is why David could wear the linen ephoid, a, a priestly garment, and offer priestly sacrifices at the altar, burnt, burnt offerings and peace offerings, according to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And so therefore we see David is not just a king but also a priest. And so that is why the Bible says David's sons were priests in 2 Samuel 8.18. So David was not just any kind of priest, though. David was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The ancient priest king of Salem who offered bread and wine, and so, as such, as long as David was in a state of purity, he could eat the bread of the presence. So, in Jesus' response to the Pharisees, his uh, criticism of the disciples in that uh, gospel scripture that we just read from Matthew twelve, he Jesus is saying, in effect. I am like King David and my disciples are like his followers and we can act like priests because David was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek and remember what was it that Melchizedek offered to God bread and wine so that's what Jesus priests do we offer they offer bread and wine So, while all of the Jewish lady were resting from the work on the Sabbath, the priests were in the temple offering the Sabbath sacrifices, which included included the bread of the presence. They were, in effect, breaking the Sabbath and doing so right in the temple itself. Nevertheless, as Jesus points out, even though at first glance the priests are profaning the Sabbath, they remain guiltless. Why? An exception is made for them because they are priests. Because they are in the temple and because they are offering the bread of the the presence. Yet again, the message to the Pharisees is, Jesus saying this, My disciples can work on the Sabbath because they have the same privileges and prerogatives as the priests in the temple. So Jesus uh, justified his disciples' actions by identifying himself with the temple. Notice that his final response to the Pharisees was not an appeal to scripture, but to his own authority, his own mysterious identity. Stunningly, in his defense of himself and his disciples, he said to them, something greater than the temple is here. What could that possibly mean? Well, Jesus is saying that he himself is the true temple. He himself is where God dwells on earth, and he is the very presence of God. So Jesus here, he's saying he sees himself as a new David and thus as a new melchizedek king and priest they also show uh this also shows us that he identified his disciples as priestly followers who could work on the sabbath like the priests who offered the bread of the presence. bread of the presence finally they make absolutely clear that he saw himself indeed his own body as the new temple of god and remember it was in the temple that the sacrificial bread of the presence was both offered and eaten and so at the Last Supper, it was not merely a new Passover. It was also the new bread and wine of the presence. Because again, he says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the new co- covenant in my blood. And then he says this in Luke 22. So do I, so do, oh, you are those You are those who have continued with me in my trials. As my father covenanted a kingdom for me, so do I covenant for you that you may eat and drink at my table and my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the parallels between the bread and wine of the presence and the bread and wine of the Last Supper are illustrated as such. The bread of the presence had 12 cakes for the 12 tribes of Israel, the Last Supper had 12 disciples for the 12 tribes. Bread of the presence bread and wine of God's presence, the last supper, bread and wine of Jesus's presence. Bread of the presence of the old covenant, an everlasting covenant, the last supper, it's a new covenant. The bread of the presence as a remembrance, the last supper, it's a remembrance of Jesus. Uh, The bread of the presence, it was offered by the high priest and eaten by the priests. The last supper offered by Jesus, the high priest, and eaten by his disciples, the priests. Bread of the presence, eaten at the golden table in the Jerusalem temple, the Last Supper, Jesus' table in the kingdom of his fathers. So it was also the institution of the new bread and wine of the presence, the bread of Jesus' own presence, that happened at the Last Supper. Almost done. And so after his passion, death, and resurrection, it was... It was through this bread and wine, the new bread of the presence, that he would be with his disciples. That is why he says to them, Do this in remembrance of me. When he wanted to leave them with a perpetual sign of his love for them, he gave them bread and wine. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Like the priest in the temple before him, by means of the Last Supper, Jesus was saying to his disciples, Behold, God's love for you. And so to put a pretty bow on this, We'll end it with this. So, just as God had been really and truly present to his people in the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon, so now Jesus would be really and truly present to his disciples through the Eucharist. And just as the old bread of the presence had been the sign of God's everlasting covenant, so now the Eucharist would become the perpetual sign of the new covenant sealed in his blood. And just as the old bread of the presence was also the bread of the face of God, so now the Eucharist would be the bread of the face of Christ. So, praise you, Jesus. Isn't that just incredible? So, we've seen the Passover meal, we've seen the daily uh, manna from heaven, uh, Jesus fulfilling that. But this bread of the presence, fulfilling the Mass, fulfilling the Last Supper, fulfilled in the Last Supper, but also fulfilled in adoration every single time we go and hang out with Jesus in a chapel in a Catholic church at the tabernacle when that candle is lit, Jesus is present. And uh, yeah, like I encourage Protestants, Catholics, go into a Catholic church, find an adoration chapel and sit in front of the Eucharist, the face of Christ and just think, behold God's love for you. That same love that was poured out on the cross is present to me now under the form of bread and wine. The the king priest, the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace, Jesus himself gave himself to me. And he's sitting right here in front of me as an eternal covenant, an everlasting sign of God's love for you.